A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very happy Wednesday to you as we welcome you along to the midweek edition of the programme with John Paul and Sadie. Uh, already taking your calls at 1850-333-103. We love to hear from you throughout the morning and I can already see texts coming into us and WhatsApps to 86 103103. Later on today on the programme, Peter Dowdell will join us answering all of your gardening questions. And so many people have taken up gardening as a hobby during this uh, lockdown and it really is great. And actually, I saw a picture. It's on the back page of today's Irish Examiner. Gorgeous colour photograph that was taken by Claire Kyo. And it literally is this huge, big field of daisies. And it's a picture of the head gardener in UCC, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jack Murphy. And it's in their wild meadow garden, which is in full bloom with something that's called, and I hadn't known the name of them before, you know those big big the big white daisies they're called oxeye daisies those wild daisies that grow actually we have a load of them growing funny enough here around these studio buildings and they're growing wild and they, they just put a smile on my face every morning when I'm driving when I'm driving in I really do love uh, daisies but this field of daisies this um, flower meadow is absolutely stunning and it seems the UCC campus is managed to ensure biodiversity and UCC was the first ever university in Ireland to plant a wild garden. So well done to everybody at UCC, but in particular to their gardener, Jack Murphy, who no doubt is looking after that wild garden. And it really is absolutely gorgeous. I'll try and remember to make a note of that for Peter Dowdle because I know he'll be quite excited about that because he's always saying to people to try to learn to love the daisies and the other weeds. And we need them for biodiversity and we particularly need them for the bees at the moment. So it is important. So you can get your gardening questions in for Peter uh, throughout the morning. Now what we seem to be already getting a lot of reaction to is the story that is making headlines today and it is to do with social distancing and how pubs and restaurants will operate. 
once they reopen and it now seems that pubs and restaurants will be allowed to reduce social distancing to one metre but there's the sting in the tail they'll only be allowed to let their customers stay on the premises for 90 minutes. Falta Ireland have indicated that guidelines for hospitality venues which to be issued ahead of the next phase of the reopening Ireland and the next phase is going to be June the 29th which is fast approaching and it will include a reduced physical distancing but they're saying there has to be in certain circumstances. The move to allow more people into venues now that is going to be hugely welcomed by the hospitality sector but the sting in the tail is they're going to have to enforce a time limit on uh, customers. Pub goers and diners will be expected to leave after one and a half hours as part of the guidelines. Restaurants will also have to reduce and stop the practice of allowing walk-ins. So you'll be booking. You certainly will be booking the table. There'll be no such thing of just deciding to wander from one restaurant or one pub to the other. That will be a long time, I think, before we'll be back doing that. Now, a decision that all only allows pubs serving food to reopen this month has caused a lot of confusion. So now they're waiting on clarity and this, it seems, is more uh, clarity. And the clarity is that the pubs need to serve a meal. It needs to be a main midday meal or an evening meal and the very least it can cost is €9. So €9 and above and off you go. Uh, There's been a lot of complication around the meal because some people had believed that pubs could open up and once they served, because Leo Varadkar came out and clarified that a pub didn't have to have a restaurant licence. We thought initially it was just going to be, it was restaurants were going to open, but then pubs started saying, well, we serve food as well. So a pub that was serving food would be allowed to open. And then it turned out that pubs who didn't serve food in the past who were suddenly going to start serving food, there was confusion, would they need a a restaurant licence? But Leo Varadkar came out and said, no, as long as they were serving food, it would be okay." So then a number of people were saying, well, does that mean a toasted ham and cheese sandwich? Is that food? Would that be enough if I served a bowl of soup, if I had crisps and peanuts? Would that be deemed food? So then we needed clarification on that. So they've come out with the clarification now that it needs to be a a, 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 a substantial meal would it be fair fair to say it's a a meal uh, should be a quality of which it would be reasonable to charge not less than nine euro Um, and it has to be a, a main course either a midday or an evening meal and it has to be so you can't just offer starters and nothing else it has to be a reasonably substantial meal and that will allow restaurants to and bars who want to open up serving food they'll be able to do it from June rather than July and if they can't do that then they've got to wait until the 20th of July is the next date. Now, the Restaurant Association's uh, Chief Executive Adrian Cummins, who we've often spoken with on this programme, he said having the physical distance rule would be a game changer from the industry, bringing it down from two metres to one metre. I mean, that is the big one. That is the one that everybody wants. But now, in order to do that, you're going to have to ask patrons that they need to come into the restaurant, sit down, browse through the restaurant, browse through the menu very quickly, may I say, order the food. The That then has to go back to, the order has to go back into the kitchen. Staff in the kitchen have to cook it. Then it has to be brought out by the waiter, waitress, given to the patron and the person has to eat it and be it all has to be done in one hour, 30 minutes, 90 minutes. Okay, some of your commentary coming in on this. Uh, 
these draft guidelines on the opening of uh, serving food for restaurants later in the month make for hard reading, says this texture. The two metre distancing may be reduced to one, but the visit to these establishments will require pre-booking and after a 90-minute stay, you'll be asked to leave the premises. The times, they certainly are a-changing. Can't see it uh, working. Janet says, you could be waiting well over half an hour just to get your food. God help the people that order a steak. Well done. Well, you can forget about that. And you can imagine if you're with a group and somebody decides to order the steak well done, the dagger looks that person will be getting from everybody else. And uh, David says half an hour, stupid stuff. Sure, it'll take a half an hour just to uh, cook the food. Um, Dan says, morning Patricia, on the reopening of uh, pubs, everybody is talking about being allowed to stay in the pub and having to pay this minimum of €9 per person. Well, that's for the food. But most seem to be missing the point, forgive the pun, pun, that the opening on the 29th is for restaurants. Some pubs have a restaurant licence to serve food, but it's only this part of the business that's allowed to open. The issue is, how will this be policed when it comes to Republican having to ask their regulars to leave after an hour and a half. It's not going to be pretty, says our uh, Dan. Yeah, but I think Leo Varadkar coming out and saying that pubs didn't need to have a restaurant licence. I think that opens the floodgates, Dan, for all pubs as long as they're serving food. And now what looks like it has to be a pretty substantial meal. That to, that to me, my, I think the interpretation people are going to t- take that technically all pubs, once they have a kitchen and are able to serve the food, will be able to go ahead. Now, I'm not saying they all will, but it certainly is allowing them to do it because they're saying the pub doesn't need to have a restaurant licence. So that means your point about a pub with a restaurant the entire premises can be turned into a restaurant for the duration of this particular lifting of this particular uh, regulation. 1850-333-103. Sandra, how sensible the time limit on pubs, meals and restaurants is. Very welcome in my book, says Sandra. She's all in favour of the one and a half rule and she's saying, please, please let hairdressers be next. We are still hopeful and while the hairdressing sector and the beautician sector are still waiting, we were told there would be some decision announced this week. Nothing has happened yet. There's a lot of talk, I suppose, going on for the formation of government and whether because of that lifting of restrictions around COVID-19 has gone slightly onto the back burner, but there has been nothing. I haven't seen or heard anything about hairdressers right across this week, but we still have a few days left, so something may happen uh, before Friday. I did read in the papers today good news from the GAA. They have confirmed that the cool camps will go ahead from the 20th of July and I think this will be welcomed by a lot of families. It's under phase four of the government's easing of restrictions. It also comes as outdoor gatherings of up to 5,000 people could be allowed from September and cinemas are expected to allow to reopen in August. It was the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar yesterday. He said if things continue to go in the right direction, if the virus stays suppressed, he says you could be able to see smaller outdoor mass gatherings in September. Now, he, he gave a variety of figures. He said 
3,000, he said 4,000, he said, or maybe even up to 5,000. But that would be from September. And that all depends on what way the numbers are going. We still have to keep the numbers down and keep the numbers uh, reduced. Because did you see what happened with the, the bookies? There was huge confusion over the bookies. Some of the bookies shops opened on Monday and then it seemed the Gardaí visited a, a bookies shop in Dublin and ordered them to close, even though the owner said they thought bookies were considered to be non-essential retail shops. And we know since Monday, June the 8th, non-essential retail shops were allowed to open. But it then emerged, this was after bookies started to open up, it then emerged that bookies are being classed the same as cinemas, discos and nightclubs and they cannot now reopen until June the 29th as part of the public health statutory instrument. So it did cause great, great confusion because bookies believed now they are being unfairly lumped in with other entertainment venues, even though they have most have on street access like retail shops. They also say they can implement social social distance. They can put in other safety measures. You know, they can have hand hygiene stations, etc. They can also limit the number of customers they allow in at one time. They also say they can put restrictions on on how long a person stays in the shop. So they felt that they ticked all of the boxes, but they didn't tick all of the boxes and they're not deemed a non-essential retail shop. And the bookies shops were all forced to uh, close. 1850-333-103. Some more of your commentary coming in. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at schools and the call for schools to reopen. I'm interested to hear from any parents out there how you're feeling about it. Do you want the schools to fully reopen on September? There's an Ipsos MRBI survey out for the Irish Times today, which is seeing a kind of a 50-50 split. Half of uh, people, 50% feel that schools should reopen as normal in September. But 40% of those polled said schools should only reopen in a limited capacity. Um, and the 8% felt it was too early to say and two had, had no option. But 50% of people want schools to reopen and get the children back to school the same way that they were in school back in March and let hand hygiene do social distancing as best you can, but let the children back into the classroom. With the, what's coming from the teachers' unions at the moment, they don't seem to be in favour uh, of it. They certainly want very strict guidance and they want to stick with the social distancing. But we know Minister for Education, Joe McHugh, said last week, if we stay with the two metre rule and if we say there's got to be two metre social distancing for schools, he says that primary school pupils will only attend school one day a week with secondary school pupils going for two days. Even if we have it, if it goes to the one metre rule, which is what the hospitality sector are are using, that still means that pupils will... Primary school pupils will only go to school for two days a week and secondary school pupils will go to school for three days. And there's a lot of parents not that happy with it because 
there's a lot of evidence out there now that we know, for example, the children are not super spreaders. We initially thought back in March they were super spreaders. We now know they're not. They also, for whatever reason, and we still can't get to the bottom of this, they don't seem to pick up coronavirus in the same numbers or in the same way that um, adults do. There's only been a couple of hundred cases, for example, of COVID-19 amongst children in this country and the majority of them either had no symptoms or had very mild uh, symptoms. So I think we've a lot more evidence now than we had when we decided to do the blanket ban on closing all the schools back in uh, March. So I'm wondering, does that give enough comfort to parents to say, let the children go back into school. There is the argument if you go into any housing estate with young children and it's wonderful to see all the children out on fine days. They're all playing with each other. There's no social distancing uh, you know, going on. Children are visiting each other in homes and they're playing uh, together and there isn't this big outbreak of COVID-19 amongst children. The numbers are being s- suppressed all over the country. So is it not time to bite the bullet and say let the children go back to school in September are we doing more damage to the children by not letting them get back to a normal life as possible and a normal life for children is for them to walk through the school gates in September and to remain there from whatever it is, 9 to 3, 9 to 4 and have a normal day at school. Your thoughts welcomed on that please. 1850-333-103 Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Due to low reservoir, water is off today until 5 o'clock in Butterfront, Donnerail and Shambally Moor and the surrounding areas. And we've also had a call in to say that there's a dog on the dual carriageway near Cove Cross and motorists are asked to please take care drive with extreme care please on pubs and restaurants and the possibility of them reopening well we know pub restaurants can reopen from the 29th but these new rulings and these new guidelines coming out from Falta Ireland the one metre rule in certain circumstances uh, but you've got to limit the amount of time that people stay on the premises they can only be there for 90 minutes and then they need to leave Uh, Tom says I know the coronavirus is there but you can't be rushing people if you're going to get pick up COVID-19 then surely you'll get it after 5 minutes so why rush people out after 90 minutes I for one won't be in a hurry to go out if I'm being forced to eat my food in a a very short space of time Mike and Skibbereen I feel poorer people who can't afford to have a substantial meal in a restaurant will be the ones losing as they won't be able to go out. These new measures will look after the richer people. I feel we need to open up more of society and stop this social distancing. Bars and restaurants cannot keep going with the measures that they are suggesting. And then Pat in Formoy is deciding to think outside the box. He said could the pubs and the local chippers not get together? Particularly for those pubs that don't have a kitchen where you could put an order in for fish and chips or burgers and chips or batter burger and chips. The order could come from the chipper, you know, the chip fan or the chip fan or the local chipper. And then you sit in the pub and eat it with your, your pint and uh, eat and eat in. Just thinking outside the box, Pat, for sure. I don't know how health and safety would feel about it, but it certainly is a uh, suggestion. And says, morning, Patricia, I will not go near a restaurant or a pub if the one metre social distancing comes in. I simply will not feel safe. There is an increased risk with one metre social distancing 
distancing, especially with so few people wearing masks at the moment. That's from Anne. And then a listener that's made me smile said, would I get away with pink snacks and tatoes like they serve in Killing the Scully? <laughs> I have to say, I'm enjoying watching Killing the Scully. I laugh out loud every Sunday night when, when the episode comes on and it's always I'll have a pink snack and the bag of tatoes. The answer is no, unfortunately. <laughs> you won't get away with it. OK, um... 1850 333103. Jerry says, uh, Patricia, I was in Kilnamarcher uh, on last night, Tuesday. It was about eight o'clock in the evening, and there was about 40 people on the road doing road bowling. Uh, should that be allowed under current restrictions? Well, it's an outdoor activity and you are allowed to exercise and do outdoor activities. As long as they were all social distancing, were they all staying two metres apart? I mean, you certainly can go out and exercise, even though I don't know about 40 people being allowed uh, together. But uh, if there were social distancing, and I don't know with road bowling, would you be, are you able to? So are, are people social distancing or not? Is, is road bowling going on in many other areas? Uh, let us uh, know. Uh, Patricia, hi. I don't know what's happening with the schools reopening, but we have all been told that we had to pay our school transport tickets. They had to be paid yesterday. So something must be happening. They're planning for the school buses. Well, they're planning to take your money off you for the school uh, buses. Let's wait and see. Will all of the schools reopen in September? God, they're quick to get the money in for the tickets, aren't they, for the bus uh, tickets? And here's a text that I have to say kind of broke my heart when I read it and it ties in with yesterday. We were talking about, we had Tyg Daly on from Nursing Homes Ireland and we were talking about how the first day went of the reopening of nursing homes to visitors. Monday was the first day of the visitors allowed in. And the very strict rules and regulations. And listen, there absolutely has to be. We need to protect and look after all of our residents inside in the nursing homes because we've had too many deaths in nursing homes and we do not want a repeat of what happened at the start of the pandemic in this country. So everything that has been done has been done to look after the residents. But in the midst of all those, there are going to be heartbreaking stories. And I think Claire sums up and Claire you won't be on your own there'll be others able to identify with this Patricia I'm going to see my mum on the weekend she is in a nursing home I have not seen her now for three months she has dementia I've been told I'm going to have to wear a mask so my fear is she actually won't know who I am with the mask on it takes her a while to recall me anyway and usually I'd visit for an hour But now I'm only allowed to visit for 30 minutes. We simply won't have enough time for her to connect with me. I know it's the rules, but it's hard, especially on the ones with dementia. God, that's just heartbreaking. And as I say, Claire, you're not on your own and and you are. Your your story is, is, is going to be shared by so many people. And so many people will say that to you with a loved one with dementia. You know, you can be the full hour and then you'll just get a glimmer where the person will realise oh, you're my daughter or you're my husband or you're my wife and the, and the person will for a moment in time lapse back and will know who you are but wearing a mask it's going to be really difficult it's going to be really really difficult but please God Claire she will know she will know that you've you've been that you, you're with her and, and you get to see her as well I really really hope uh, your visit goes uh, well will you come back to us on Monday and let us know how it went 1850 333103 lines open Court today on C103 Call Patricia
Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 Now members of the travelling community and the Gardaí are urging people not to come to North Cork next month for the annual Carami Horse Fair in Butterwind due to fears over COVID-19. The Mayor of Cork County, Ian Doyle, is lending his voice to the appeal and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Ian. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you? You're welcome to the programme. Thank now, you, Patricia. Ian, because there's no organising committee, the, the horse fair cannot just simply be cancelled. Is that the real problem here? I suppose that's, that's, that is the problem, Patricia, to be honest with you. But I suppose, in fairness to everybody, we're all working on the, the assumption that it's not happening. Um, and just, I suppose, you know, as I said to you previously, I suppose the heart of the, the whole event is the traditional horse fair, which is over 100 years old. And not, it is one of the most fantastic horse fairs in the world. Many of famous horses have been bought from North Cork. And, you know, as mayor, I have, dra- I have drafted, and it has been published, a letter on the Irish Field in the Farmers Journal urging horse owners not to come to the horse fair this year, that it will not be happening. And the response I have got back has been very, very positive. So from that, from the kernel of the issue, which is the horse fair, I think we are satisfied that, that, that horse owners will not bring their horses to the fair on the assumption that it's not happening this year. And are, are people in, in Butterfield nervous that large, because people just know it's on on July the yeah. 12th, are they nervous that some people might I, I, not get I the suppose, message and turn up? I suppose the whole nervousness is, is on, the, on, on the fringe events that happen with Carmi, and of course that is famous as well, you know, and in terms of, you know, hawkers and in terms of street stands and in terms of festivities that happen there. Now, I suppose in terms of public gatherings, it can't happen anyway from a public health point of view, yeah. but, from, uh, but it has been totally managed by the Gardaí and, and the travelling community, I must admit, and a fair juice of them. And, you know, I, just an initiative, um, Sergeant Eileen Kelly and Detective Liam Ruttle here in Charville, they have actually produced a video with a young traveller lad and he is urging people not to come to the fair. And that's a great initiative. Well, s- well stay there because I think I have that young lad you're, you're speaking about, uh, TJ Hogan of the uh, East Cork Traveller Project. Okay. Good, morning. Okay. Good morning to you, TJ. Good morning, how are you keeping? Uh, I'm keeping very well. Are you in this video that Ian is talking about? I am, yeah. We're trying to urge people not to come to the fair. Unfortunately, the youth lost um, the border event at the community because it's a traditional thing uh, where a lot of uh, members of my community really gear up for a whole year and get their animals ready to buy and sell. And the youth lost as well financially. So, uh, But due to COVID-19 and due to health concerns, I'm urging people not to come. Um, and maybe we can have a go again next year. Absolutely, and it's and it's and it's because it's the hundredth year uh, next year. I think it's going to be even bigger than better. So you made you you've made a video, and is the video gone up on social media, TJ? Yeah, um, it's been edited at the moment, and we're hoping to get it out through social media and all platforms where we, we reach members of the community and members of the public, just to urge people not to come. And um, look, we'll we'll do it again next year. And as you said, next year we'll be bigger and better. And what about other horse fairs, um, TJ? I mean, Bottomman isn't the only horse fair. Have 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 any of them? None of them have gone ahead, have they? Uh, well, there's only uh, from from my perspective. There's three big ones across the country that that are the highlight of the calendar year, and they're the first big one is, is Bottomman, and that kicks off then to Puck Fair in Clarigan and in, in Kerry, and then obviously is Banlaslow. Uh, but there's I don't know. I haven't heard any conversation as of yet whether they're going to go ahead or not, but. Hopefully, um, that ho- I'm hoping that they will. But um, but you, the public concern around Butterfield and the timing of Butterfield. Yeah, yeah. And what 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 are the dates of those other fairs? 
Um, Puck Fair is normally the last week of August, and then um, the one in Galway is normally the first week of September. So, yeah, so yeah, there's there might be some hope of the September one with what Leo Varadkar said yesterday about gatherings of even though it'd be more than five thousand would turn up for that, wouldn't there? They're huge. Yeah. Yeah. Horse fairs are a huge um, income for families like uh, horse horse trading and um, but also market stalls and all that are a huge income for families at the moment and have been for, for generations and unfortunately that's not going to go ahead. But look, we'll we'll try our best to urge people not to come to the fairs and uh, hopefully as you say we can have it next time around. And Ian, will it be hugely missed? In, in yeah, no, no doubt about it, Patricia. It's a huge national event. There's no quite. It's a famous event. And Patricia, can I just publicly congratulate CJ? He's a credit to his community, and you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing that he's after doing. And you know, I'm sure he will be listening to. And you know, that that is the way forward. There's no, he's right. There, the, the, it is going to be a huge knot. There's a huge tradition around that. There's a huge tradition of trading horses and items. And well done to him from that. Now, and I'll say that to the bottom of my heart from Cork County people. So well done. Well TJ. done. Yeah, well, well, done, well, done, that, yeah. well done. Yeah, well done, TJ. Yeah. Um, and uh, we look, we look forward to seeing the, the yeah. video when it's up and running. Sorry, Ian. Yeah, a last about event. A huge last about event. And of course, from a council point of view, we have, we have employed contractors that will be putting up barriers in traditional stopping spots for the for the traders that were, were there just to make sure that they, that they they don't come into that spot. Now, it's a catch-22 situation, Patricia, because we're banging, we've just only launched and we're banging in the middle, middle of Project Act. Uh, all of our towns, including Buttevin, has been closed down for the last three and a half months. And Cork County Council, we are working hard to get our towns and villages back up trading again. So it's, we don't want to be blocking off the car spaces and blocking off businesses for too long either, you know. But we have a contractor employed. He will be there a couple of days before the fair, blocking off the spaces and in conjunction with the community, making sure it doesn't happen. Just to make sure the message gets out. Okay. It's a 24-hour event and hopefully it won't happen. And, you know, next year will be bigger and better. All right. Okay. And uh, TJ, good luck with the video and thanks a million for joining us. Good morning to you. That's uh, TJ Hogan of the East Cork uh, Traveller uh, Project. And Ian, just uh, w- uh, while we have you, um, you are, of course, a Fianna Fáil uh, councillor. I, I can't let the moment go without asking you about the views of formation of a new government. I was, I was hoping you would say goodbye now. Again. Thank you very much. <laughs> no such luck. Well, what's, what's, what's your thoughts on it all? I suppose, Patricia, I, I've made no, I, I no, made no uncertain terms that politically I am not in favour of, of the coalition, politically, politically. But we are where we are at the moment. Um, there has been a, a document uh, for, for a government produced over the next couple of nights. We will be having Zoom meetings with our CDCs to see Politically, I, I, I'm not in favour of it, but the, the, the document we have to study is it's 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 an aspirational document. It's it's without it's without figures. It's without timelines. Um, it's a, it's very much in favour. There's concerns for rural learned. I uh, the the public transport two to one ratio in spending would be of concern to me. Is it very much urban based? Um, certainly the M20, um, the future of the M20 would be of a huge concern to us here in Charville and North Cork. Um, I'm not saying it would be cancelled, but I would certainly look at the timeline and wonder whether that, that's in, you know, that's in jeopardy. Uh, the Minister, Pascal O'Donnell, who said that all capital projects will not be affected. But, you know, I'm, I'm just concerned that there isn't, there isn't uh, figures, because certainly our budget next October will, be, will determine this, this document. And housing, I suppose, is another huge issue and the concentration in urban areas again. Uh, 
affordable housing, I think somebody, and definitely Fianna Fáil, and I have been on to them, we need to put a figure on, on housing. And what I mean by a figure is a cost. Do When we're talking about affordable, affordable housing for people, are we talking about 200,000? Are we talking about 225,000? Or what is the actual figure? So the young people can actually realise their dreams and own a house in their lifetime. So there's a lot of figures that need to be put in place. On agriculture, uh, it is very much based, and there's nothing wrong with that, I, we come from the Golden Vale area. We come from the Kerry Group, the Dairy Gold, North Cork, Creamery's New Market, and Bowerwee. These are all hugely progressive, environmentally friendly farmers. We need a package in place for them to progress their their industry as as a living, not as just a, an alternative to planting trees. We need to work together with them. I certainly welcome the Greens on board. It, 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 I mean. Europe is is going green, and that's the way the world is going to go. But I think there needs to be a balance. I'm just worried whether we have the balance in this document. But I think, you know, this morning there was a huge figure of a million people getting some sort of COVID payment one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Uh, in October, realistically, we will have to pay for that one way or the other. We're going to do it through growth, hopefully, and that is proving it's great to see our county towns and villages opening again. We need to promote shop local and we need to promote spend. And I'm very proud to be part of Cork County Council, who is the leader in this at the moment. And True Project Act is really getting behind our local businesses and trying to get going. But um, look, we'll have to listen to it. As I say, politically, I am not happy with it. I think that... And um, is, is that just the fact that you're going in, into power with Fine Gael? I think, I, I think that Eamon O'Keefe sums it up in one, and maybe that's the way things are going. I think in five years' time, there will be still two parties. One will be the coalition, and the other will be Sinn Féin. I think that's a pity. I think we, we had an opportunity. We, we canvassed for change. We had a huge opportunity to, to bring in those 33% people that voted for change. We didn't do that. Look, at, it's water under the bridge now. We, we, have to, we are where we are. We need a government. Uh, but what 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 is the alternative? I mean, well, if this if this doesn't go through, I mean, you're not suggesting another election. Well, there is there is the there is the option of a national government. I mean, you know, in an emergency, an emergency situation, an emergency, a national government could work. I mean, it has been working for the last three and a half months. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and all credit to everybody concerned, it has been working. But it does need a political influence at this stage because I mean, it, this has been the, for the three, three and a half months. It has been working on a public health totally, which is important, which is vital, and uh, which is vital. But I suppose the economics will come into it at some stage, and it does need public representatives, and it needs the government. So, and look, what, what about what, what about Micheál Martin as Taoiseach? Yeah, yeah uh, allowing I, that I, everything I, in the program for government. If I you could, if you could get by I, that, I will probably I fully support Micheál Martin as Taoiseach. I fully support what he has done for the party. There is no question about that. But I have been publicly, and I have been publicly, not in favour of the coalition, but we are where we are. And you have a vote. Stuff. As a Fianna Fáil councillor, you, you have I, a vote. I, I have more than a vote. I had five doyles with a vote. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we have a vote and we, we, we're, we'll exercise that vote. You know? Okay, yeah. okay. And yeah. your term of office as it's county it's mayor it's is it's uh, nearly, is it next week or the week after? It's Friday week, yeah. Friday week. You've been unfortunate in that you've landed uh, into the middle of a pandemic, but has it been a, a very enjoyable experience, oh, Ian? Unbelievable, Patricia. And, you know, uh, okay, people are putting it down as unfortunate as it is, but I cannot tell you how proud I am of the Cork people. 
and of Cork County Council. I mean, we, we the day I was elected, the pandemic started, <laughs> and what it was actually, yeah, it was, yeah. It was. and you know, there was the first, the first six weeks or the first month. We were, and I personally was genuinely concerned about the public health people. We saw people going to places that they probably shouldn't have went just at the initial stages. Yeah. In within a week, all that was solved. People were genuinely, the amount of people, everybody that adhered to the HSE guidelines, the staff of Cork County Council that kept services going and that set up the COVID community response program has been fantastic. And all I can do, you know, in my term really is in three and a half months is just proud is the word that I would Well done. Well done. Well done. And I think people have been very proud of you as well. So well done to you. Okay. in case we don't uh, speak again, thank you for always making yourself available as uh, County Mayor. We really appreciate that. And we will talk again. Thanks all your help. Thanks. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is the Mayor of Cork County, uh, Ian Doyle. And uh, Claire, who contacted us, is going to see her mum for the first time in three months in a nursing home at the weekend and she's dementia. And uh, Claire is afraid she won't recognise her with the mask and that she's only got a half an hour and that sometimes it can take an hour before the mother realises who uh, Claire is. Margaret was on. It's just heartbreaking to even think of that. Margaret was on to say, tell Claire if she brings in lots of photographs of times gone by, it might just jog her memory and she might get her that little spark of a memory back uh, quicker. And uh, she hopes as well that uh, Claire's mum will know exactly who she is. Uh, 1850 Our lines are open. John Paul and Sadie are taking those calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. Tim says when we were talking about horse fairs in the last hour and the we know Karami not going ahead but trying to get the message out to people to make sure that they don't turn up on the 12th of July. Tim says don't forget there's also a horse fair in Tallow there is uh, but Tim says it's not as big as it was in the past. Uh, Ian Doyle did a great job not just as the county mayor but in uh, handling things in the past. Uh, a good guy is uh, Councillor Ian Doyle and that's from Tim. Thank you for your text Tim to 0862 Now, while there's been a big push by health officials and members of the government to get everybody in, uh, all members of the public, to wear face masks when out and about, one group in society are finding face masks a huge burden to communication, and that's the deaf community. Joining me to explain more is Brendan Lennon, who is Director of Advocacy at CHIME, which is the National Association for Deaf People in Ireland. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, to talk to you. Well, you're welcome to the programme. The obvious group here uh, would be those people that lip read. Is is the people wearing face masks in public, is that just an added toll on the lives of deaf people? Well, absolutely. Um, um, you know, being deaf or indeed hard of hearing um, is highly associated with things like social isolation, loneliness or you know, that sense of feeling cut off from people because you can't, uh, you know, understand what people are saying around you. And to go to a hospital appointment, because we know everybody in, in hospitals at the moment are all wearing face masks, that must be an absolute nightmare. Uh, well, <laughs> indeed it is. Um, hospitals, you know, even outpatient appointments now are very, very difficult for people who rely on lip reading. And there are an awful lot of people who rely on lip reading, not just we say the people who are sign language users, members of the deaf community, but all those people who develop a hearing loss in, in, you know, in adulthood. And by the time we're 70, 
50% of us will have a significant hearing loss and wow. be relying to some extent on hearing loss. So it, it, it's, it's everywhere. You know, you, you go into the supermarket now, you might be faced with somebody with a face mask. You go into the chemist and you almost certainly will be faced with somebody who's got a face mask on and you could be missing out on vital information. I saw uh, face masks. Uh, now, this would be for people who live breed. Uh, I saw face masks with clear plastic uh, on the front. I don't know how widely in use they are, but is that an option? Well, um, they're usually called face shields or, or face visors. Yeah. Um, and and we are actually wrote to Neffet last week um, asking them to consider face shields uh, as an alternative option to, you know, face masks for, you know, the wider public. Because, in fact, there are a lot of um, concerns around face masks, as you know. Even Neffet themselves are concerned that people may touch their face and yeah, yeah. self-contaminate and so on. They're, they're not suitable for people who have breathing difficulties. They're very uncomfortable. And you'll see, if you walk down the street, you'll see people adjusting them all the time because they're very, they're quite uncomfortable. Face shields, on the other hand, uh, are much more comfortable to wear. They're easily disinfected and reusable. They even protect your eyes, which face masks don't. Um, so there's a lot of positives. And in fact, there, there are experts, uh, for example, in, in, in uh, the University of Iowa, who, who actually, uh, you know, in evaluating face shields, said that uh, there may be advantages uh, to face shields and that they should be included as part of strategies to, you know, safely and significantly reduce transmission in the community. And the face shields are the one that's like a band that goes around your forehead and then the shield comes down on, on the front end. I know we've done a lot of interviews, uh, in particular with schools who've got the 3D printers. There's yeah. lots of people making these face shields that they, they're widely available now. Exactly. They're, they're, I'm not, I, I don't know if they're widely available everywhere, but they certainly are, you know, easily produced. Uh, and, in so, you know, there are some groups that have produced them and they're, they're, they're obviously available in those areas. But if the government uh, and if NEFET were to, you know, adapt their guidance to say that face shields were an alternative option and an, an acceptable option to wearing a face mask, we believe more members of the public would wear them. Um, and uh, they would be obviously much more widely available and they're quite cheap. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I don't know if you recall, actually, when the government first announced their guidance on, you know, the wearing of face coverings, um, the, 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 the Taoiseach himself actually alluded to, you know, some people can't wear face masks and yeah. that's why it wasn't mandatory. And he mentioned people uh, who had skin allergies which is quite a, actually a, quite a, a number of the population, as I understand it. A face shield would be an acceptable alternative. alternative yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we any time we do an interview about face masks, uh, Brendan will hear from uh, people, for example, who are suffering from asthma and they've said that they can't breathe with them. We had somebody last week who said um, she gets panic attacks if she's got something across her mouth, which was another group of people that, you know, I hadn't thought about. Certainly people on the autism spectrum find it extremely difficult uh, to wear anything across the mouth. So there, there are a lot of people. And then when I was thinking about you joining me on the programme today, the, the face masks, it muffles speech. So, you know, that the, the, the people that you talk about who, you know, not registered deaf, but they're hard of hearing, it, it is causing huge problems. I was only in a shop 
lately where I had to tap a lady on the shoulder and I was slow to even do it uh, to tell her that the the lady was trying to tell her something the the shop assistant yeah, yeah. but you're so nervous now about even tapping somebody on the shoulder because we're all trying to do the social distancing Absolutely. but but, but yes. the speech is muffled behind a face mask yes the, the face mask does a couple of things it doesn't just um you know cut the per- cut you off from the person's face uh, you know and for all of us we all use facial expression to help us with our communication we we know if we're talking to somebody and they're smiling well we know they're they're friendly and they're interested yeah. in our conversation but they might be actually you know looking grumpily at us and in which case we know to stop quickly etc but the face masks muffle the sound which means that it's it's less clear Uh, so that's why somebody who's hard of hearing will struggle even more to understand that but the main thing being the absence of those facial expressions, you don't even know the person is moving their lips, which is one of the big cues people who are deaf or hard of hearing will use to know that someone is speaking to them. And you wrote to Neffa, did you hear anything back from them? Well, we're still waiting to hear back, okay. uh, Patricia. I, I mean, I mean, I know Neffa have an awful lot on their plate, but uh, actually when we talk about uh, just how many people are affected here, uh, um, we, we actually are, you know, we, we believe that, as I say, if Neffet adapt, adapted its uh, guidance and, or amended its guidance to include face shields, we believe actually it would help in that task of, um, you know, that important task of getting more people to wear face coverings and encouraging them to do so. Which they're trying to do. Out, uh, yeah, I might point out that, in fact, uh, in the UK, where the, where the government have made, as you know, made, made face coverings um, and face masks mandatory, they actually have made quite a number of exemptions. And one of those exemptions is for people who are accompanying people who rely on lip reading. Wow. Uh, they're, they're not, yes. But actually, uh, while, while that's an exemption for people, we actually believe that the face shields is better guidance because it, it means that people are uh, protecting themselves and others when they're wearing one. And can communicate. Exactly. And, and actually talking of the deaf community, I mean, all of the HSE uh, press briefings have the sign language uh, interpreters. Um I mean, obviously, huge help to the deaf community, but I think it's also bringing awareness to the wider population of the deaf community. It is, absolutely. Um, and an awful lot of interest in sign language as a result. Brilliant. I suppose, yeah, and I suppose the other thing that uh, it took us quite a bit of time, a number of years to convince, um, you know, uh, public public bodies and, and, and indeed the government of the importance of making public information available to everybody. Um, and we believe, actually, I believe that the... the, the the presence of the sign language interpreters at those briefings, it, it, it conveys a message to everybody, um, you know, not just the deaf community, to everybody that everybody needs to know this information. Mm. Everybody needs to act on it and be aware of it. So, um, you know, it, it, isn't, it doesn't just uh, support the deaf community to get that information uh, and have it to hand at the same time as everybody else. But it also, as I say, it creates that important awareness and that inclusivity that everybody needs to know about this information and everybody needs to play their part. Can I say those interpreters are excellent? They are really excellent. They, they, they are. It's, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a, a, you know, it's like any other language. It's a, it's a, it's a great skill 
you know, to be able to use another language. But you'll notice as well that um, it's worth just mentioning that in terms of, um, you know, facial expression, uh, we talk about facial expression for all of us, but in terms of sign language, yeah. the facial expression also conveys a lot of the meaning and content of the vocabulary, if you like. So um, it's, a, it's, an, it's an additional uh, um, aspect, which is, means that if somebody is, is, is deaf uh, um, and, and uses sign language to communicate, the face marks really... Yeah. You know, they really are have a huge impact. Now, I, I actually know the answer to you, uh, answer to this question that's coming from a listener, but I'll let you explain. There's somebody saying, I keep watching on the news, particularly the news from coming out of Northern Ireland, and um, when they have sign language, uh, they have two sign language interpreters, why two, who are signing differently? Yes, well... I'll let you it, explain it, that. I, I, w- I will indeed, Patricia. Actually, it's, it's an assumption people sometimes make that, that there is only one sign language in the world. But in fact, of course, there, there are sign languages that are unique to each country. So there's British sign language, there's Irish sign language, there's American sign language. Um, and in Northern Ireland, uh, because of, you know, the makeup of the tradition in Northern Ireland, uh, deaf people in Northern Ireland, uh, a significant number of them use British Sign Language to communicate and a significant number use Irish Sign Language to communicate. And the reason for that is that some children will have gone to school in, in, the, in, in the UK, in, in, in England or whatever, to the deaf schools there and learned British Sign Language when they were growing up, etc. Whereas also some, some children in Northern Ireland went to the schools in Dublin, the deaf schools in Dublin, and learned Irish Sign Language. So it's, it's, a, it's a unique um, aspect of uh, Northern, the Northern Irish yeah, situation. Yeah. And are they very different? Uh, well, they they are extremely different, actually. Um, British Sign Language is 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 quite different from Irish Sign Language. Uh, it 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 you you use both of your hands, for example, to uh, um, spell the alphabet. Um, whereas in, in Irish Sign, Sign Language, Irish Sign Language, it's one, it's one hand. hand. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, Irish Sign Language came from originally from uh, France and is quite similar to French Sign Language. Um, and American Sign Language also came from French Sign Language, so there, there, there's more similarity between Irish Sign Language, French Sign Language and American Sign Language than British Sign Language. Okay, and there's loads of courses you can do for to, to learn sign language. It's a great skill. Absolutely. It's a great, and, it's a great uh, skill. Y- yes, yes. And, and children, if, for example, really love learning. They do, uh, yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah, and I think if we, if we learn anything from COVID-19, uh, um, isn't it the, the need for more interpreters at events like that that are televised? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, Patricia. It's something we're constantly asking for. And in fact, uh, the Irish Sign Language Act was passed by the government uh, in December 2017. Um, and, you know, among the provisions in the act is that, you know, public information is available in Irish Sign Language. So um, it, 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 it is the law. The act doesn't become fully commenced until December 2020. So we're only six months away uh, from that. And and there's quite a number of uh, sections in that act that still have to be commenced. And we're hoping that, you know, the new government will we'll, we'll be insisting that the new government, um, you know, fulfill the, uh, the legal obligations that are there in that act. And um, it'll concentrate minds over the coming months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, real pleasure uh, speaking to you, Brendan. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Brendan Lennon, who is the Director of Advocacy at uh, Chime. Uh, and just to, you know, make, I suppose, to make people aware of that as well, uh, particularly if you're working in shops and you are wearing uh, face masks. In, in some shops, the the people working in the shops are, are wearing the face mask. Just be conscious and aware that some of the people you're speaking to may not be 
quite hearing what you're saying and to, to make sure that you're getting the message across. It's not that people are being rude and are ignoring you. It could just be that they're not uh, actually hearing you. 1850 Can I just take a quick look through some of the texts coming into us? Still getting in commentary on the pubs and restaurants. I keep saying pubs, but it's restaurants uh, opening on the 29th of June and the news now coming from Falta, Ireland. New guidelines that the two metres can go to one metre as long as there's a substantial meal being served and as long as the customers leave after 90 minutes. Pat from Milford says regarding pubs slash restaurants opening on the 29th of June serving food and you're 90 minutes in. What time of the night are pubs to close? Just say if last orders is at 9pm does it mean then this is last food orders is at 9pm does that mean the pubs will close at half 10 or what time says Pat from uh, Milford? But you see at the moment they're only dealing with restaurants and they're saying that pubs that have a restaurant licence are pubs that decide to serve food. Now I'm assuming that the same laws as to the time of the night but you're right will the kitchens close uh, earlier Uh, and I suppose uh, Pat only time is going to tell on that one. Hi this is from Willie. I do not think the two metre rule is too strict for businesses involved in the hospitality industry. You essentially to decide if you it's up to you as individuals to essentially decide if you want to chance it or not. You don't eat your dinner while wearing a mask. I've been in restaurants in the past and I've waited for over an hour before my main course has arrived. I don't know how it's going to work in restaurants where the service is similar to that. This 90 minute rule was decided by people used to having a business, a quick business lunch in Dublin and not your typical weekend family friends leisurely type meal. It is not going to uh, work. That's from Willie in Formoy. Thank you for that, uh, Willie. Uh, Tom says, all the focus seems to be on pubs opening. I want the dance halls uh, back. We need to get people back dancing. PJ on our C103 Facebook page. Nonsensical, overhyped bull. So we can go for house viewings. We can traipse around all of the shops but God forbid we want to go for a drink. And Liam says, €9 for a meal wouldn't pay you much considering the prices. They won't buy you much considering the prices that they were charging uh, before COVID-19. Restaurants, Siobhan on Twitter at C103 Cork. Listening to C103 Cork, it's clear neither the presenter has ever made a living in a restaurant. Customers who come in spending nothing stay forever and they don't care about anyone, says Siobhan. I haven't made a living out of a restaurant. I just think it's, I don't know how people, I'm, I'm what I'm most worried about is the the leisurely meals where people sit and have a leisurely meal or it's the people who are going to use the restaurants to go for a drink with friends. I think that's what people are most worried about. And then on schools and getting the children back to schools, the texter says the children shouldn't be left back to school in September. The children should be left to get back to school in September and get on with get on with it for the kids' sanity and for parents to return to work and get things back to some normality and get Ireland moving again before we have nothing left to open. We are going to have to live with this virus. We're going to have to get on with life and I don't care what teachers say, the kids need to be back in school. They need to be able to see their friends and get their routine back and get their lives back to some kind of normality. Thanking you, that's from Pat. And please tell people 
people to be happy just to get out to eat I don't think you can please all of the people all of the time you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't thanks for that Tim says there are about 12 weeks to the projected start of schools opening there will be changes between now and then Tim's suggestion is is to split the school day first group of children will go into school from 9am to 12 noon and then the next group will go from 12.30 to 3.30 do it on a trial basis until Christmas and forget about your mid-term break that's a suggestion from Tim on the restaurants if you get a 9 euro meal can you drink as much as you like you can as long as you're in and out in an hour and a half and someone else says I can see an opening for the sale of stopwatches C103 Jobs a staff nurse is uh, required for relief work plus one day per week. It's to cover maternity leave commencing in August in St. Gobnet's nursing home. That's in Ballyagram. Experienced retail assistant is required for a busy service station. That's on the Bandon Road in Bishopstown. While CE Tree Services, they're looking for a chainsaw operative with own transport for work in Cork City and in West Cork. And staff are wanted for immediate start at E&R Blinds Factory. That's in McCroom. You can find uh, all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now I have to say we keep getting calls and texts to the programme from people living in the Dunmanway area wondering when their recycling facilities will be back up and running. The issue has been raised at council level by local councillor Declan Hurley who uh, joins me. Good morning to you Declan. Good morning, Patricia. Um, and I have to start by saying congratulations, Daddy. Uh, you've become a father. <laughs> how is how is mum and baby doing? Great, great. It's a fantastic new experience. Um, we're still uh, in the in the learning, um, I suppose, stages, but uh, so far so good. And uh, we're, we're getting, I suppose, the, a good six hours a night, most nights, and well, sleep. So we we can't complain. He's he's spoiling us rather than we spoiling him. That's a mo- a model baby. Uh, well done. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, tough though in the middle of a, of a pandemic and all of that. Uh, it is certainly, but I suppose um, initially going back to the very beginning, Catherine, um, her preference was to have a home birth. So obviously the, the COVID um, situation didn't have a bearing on the fact that we having a home birth. So obviously it was um, a whole new experience for, for us in that but uh, Thankfully, it went well. Um, at the moment, yes, it, it is difficult because we can't get out. There is a certain amount of cabin fever, but uh, we're, we're coping as best we can. Um, thanks. We are here in the beautiful West Cork, and there's plenty open space we can go to. But um, uh, yes, it, it can be difficult, but we we're, we're coping with it so far. And the home birth all worked out okay. No, Great, no issues. Thank God. Yeah, we were a bit nervous. Well, I was nervous certainly um, with the, the idea, but uh, thankfully everything went to, went to plan, and it was just a, a wonderful experience. That's the best way I can describe it. And, and that's a brave thing on a first. And a, and a first baby to go for a home it birth. It is obviously with, with any at any stage or any number, um, there, 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 there can be complications. And I suppose the fact again, being in West Cork, you're you're 45 minutes um, away from CUMH, so um, there's a bit of a journey to go should complications um, arise. But thankfully, that didn't happen. And uh, we had a fantastic uh, midwife who was fantastic support to Catherine and myself uh, right up to. Um, day itself and, and afterwards so um, certainly we, we couldn't fault any part of the service and um, 
if if God spares us, um, if we go if we go again, certainly um, we will be going. For oh, that well done, there. well done, well done, and congratulations! And was it a local midwife or did the midwife? It was, yeah, West Cork, yeah, from uh, Roscarbury area, so um, only twenty minutes away from where where we're living. So it was ideal, and uh, we have a fantastic uh, friendship now built up. So that will brilliant. continue. Brilliant, we'll brilliant, and, and you know, in some ways, I think for new for new mums and uh, dads, this whole lockdown and not being able to travel and and whatever. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off people with, you know, the, sometimes when new baby arrives, so many people can be calling and everybody wants to see baby. And um, I think it can, we, you know, we've all sort of stepped back from life and we're, we're in a much more relaxed way at home. And I think that's a huge benefit for, for new parents. It is because like even on like on the day, should Catherine have had to go to CMH, um, I probably would have just been there for a very short, just maybe for the birth itself and had yeah. to leave again. Um, like that, I was there right throughout from start to finish. And that night, um, we were at home um, with with I was at home with Catherine and, and baby in a very calm, relaxed atmosphere. Yeah. And certainly, it did aid Catherine's, I suppose, recovery after that because she just bounced back um, to, to full health again. So there, there's a lot to be said for home birth. Unfortunately, it's not for everybody. Um, again, up, up until the day, you don't know whether it's going to go ahead or not. But um, for in our situation, it did. Um, but certainly. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Having the lockdown, having COVID, it did give us that time, that downtime and our own um, private time um, to get bonding with the baby and get into that new uh, role as new parents and learning what it's all about. So, Yes, even well though done. there is a downside, there's a positive as well too. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, congratulations uh, to, you, to you both and, and well Thanks. done uh, to Catherine. I love the idea that it, it was a home birth. Okay, let's get back to these recycling facilities. Firstly, when, did they close initially because of COVID-19? Yeah, this all kicked off, uh, Trish, on the 29th of March when the lockdown kicked in um, nationally and then on the 5th of, on the, yeah, the 29th of March and on the 5th of May, 
within the civic community sites and bring sites started to open back up again, albeit in a reduced capacity, and then come the 18th of May, they open back up to a, a full um, suite of services. But unfortunately, with Dunmanway, that didn't happen. Um, and I think I, I need to point out that Dunmanway is a bring centre, um, as and it is as opposed to a as, civic community site. Exactly, yeah. because it, it's unsupervised and you're depending on the public's um, goodwill to, to use the service properly. So up on, certainly, I suppose, a number of months before, there had been issues with contamination of the dry recyclables, particularly with um, paper, the cardboard and plastic. Now, the drink cans, food cans and glass recycling, that is back, that is up and running, but we haven't got our cardboard, plastic and paper recycling back because there has been an element of um, cross-contamination. People, um, I suppose, abusing the system, unfortunately, which has led to uh, 15% contamination of the, the dry recycling with cardboard and plastic. So there in lies the problem in relation to getting the service back. And it's, it's been a battle for the last uh, six weeks, uh, I suppose, to convince the, the council to, to get that service reinstated. And the problem with, that I'm facing with at the moment is that the service provider has refused uh, to to service the site until um, this element can be remedied. And it probably means putting somebody in there to supervise uh, the site. And therein lies the next problem is that the site is a small area and the council cannot provide um, safe social distancing for employees. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach. But um, at the moment, um, I raise it and continue to raise it because it is a big issue for local people because Dunmanway being central in West Cork has a big catchment area and all along um, when the bins were removed and they opened up for a limited service i.e. bottles and cans they were advising people to go to the Bandon site kind of Kilty site the Breed site they were all 20 kilometres away which was outside mm. at the time 5 kilometre um, travel zone which added more frustration to people because they said we now have centres where we go to, but because of restrictions we can't travel, and all the time they had um, this mountain of plastic and cardboard and paper building up in their homes and as you know um, as everybody else, you can only store so much of this at any one Absolutely. time. Absolutely and you know, we, we keep, as I mentioned in my introduction, we keep getting calls in, uh, from people and they've been very good about storing it and you know having it all ready uh, to go for recycling, but when you when you say fifteen percent of the the cardboard and the paper contaminated, it, uh, is it deliberately being contaminated by household waste? Well, the exam. No, thankfully, um, last Monday when I raised it again, we got um, some kind of a report back which kind of outlined the reason why it hadn't been returned, and the example given to us basically was uh, dirty nappies stuffed into plastic oh, come boxes, on. Uh, bags of ashes, uh, domestic waste, vegetable peelings, etc. And all it takes is one bag of that to go into either one. We had three skips, one for paper, one for cardboard, one for plastic. And all it takes is one bag to contaminate that whole um, uh, skip. So that, that's where the problem is. So well, that's shocking. 99% of people will use it properly. And it's that 1% out to now have unfortunately this, um, uh, prevented this service from being reinstated. But um, it's, there's about 200 tonnes um, per annum of um, cardboard, plastic and paper being uh, recycled from the Demandway Centre. Uh, it does cost about 50000 per year to run, which is a, a big expense because it is a free site. But I think in order to get this back, um, again, we're hoping to get a more detailed report and maybe a solution at our next West Cork Municipal District meeting, which will be the first week of July. So we're waiting, hopefully, to get um, a more definite um, solution within, but 
we, we may be looking at this service being charged for if it has to be brought back and supervised properly. What about CCTV? Would that work? And would big signs up saying you're on camera will find and then find people if you catch people? There is CCTV there. Um, I've been told it's not great that it needs to be upgraded. But again, when it's not being monitored or when it's not being supervised, um, once if, if somebody puts in... Um, for example, uh, a few nappies in a complex box. Oh, yeah, it's hard camera. to see it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's only after that. the event. If you go back over the yeah. camera, but again, the damage is done. The the the, um, the recycling is contaminated, and that does then incur or additional work and cost on the service provider having to go in and separate and clean um, the, the recycling. Then, when it has to go on for it to be recycled. And my big fear factor when there is uh, any recycling facility closes or is not available to people, is there a danger that it can lead to illegal dumping? Yes. um, And look, I'd be wrong in saying it hasn't happened. And um, again, it's no fault of people. It it is wrong, it is illegal, but this has led to illegal dumping, illegal burning. Uh, because people have to try and, and dispose of this somewhere. Um, again, even though now the five kilometre restrictions have been lifted, um, still the Bandon, Clonakilty, Skibbereen, um, Civic Union signs are still the, the twin, they're, they're still outside that just 20 kilometre zone. So again, people are fearful that they're going to be ended up travelling outside the restriction zones um, and going to be maybe penalised in that. So um, again, it's, it's not a solution. And I, I think that the council need to step in here and put some measure in place be a temporary fine just to see, just to reduce the stress uh, on people with their recycling. But certainly long term, we have to look at a more permanent solution, uh, which probably will mean, no, I'm thinking ahead of myself, but it, it may mean uh, the service having to be charged for. And I think if that if it comes to that, I think we'll have to bite that bullet because it's a service that's needed. Um, we had it before and I said last Monday at the meeting, I'm not accepting anything less than a full reinstatement of the service we had. Yeah, and you can't be expecting people to be travelling uh, 20 kilometres to, re- to recycle their goods, particularly when they had uh, the facility there. OK, listen, keep us informed on this one, Declan. Will do. And uh, look after yourself and uh, love to Catherine and the baby. Will Thanks do. a million. Thanks, Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That is uh, West Cork, Dunmanway-based uh, councillor Declan Hurley. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. John Paul Sadie takes the course. Text WhatsApp 862 103103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now let's turn our attention to our career guidance expert, Roisin Kelleher, uh, who joins us with the words of advice for the Leaving Cert students. Uh, good morning to you, Roisin. Now, while the Leaving Cert didn't take place, um, as is the Leaving Cert students now very much focused on going to college, going on to a third level. But firstly, have you great sympathy for the class of 2020? Yes, I certainly do, because it is quite different. The uncertainty is there, it's there for everybody. But the the young people, it it is quite different. I mean, first of all, the assessment of their Leaving Cert, that's one big, huge issue for them. And then what is third level going to be like? Or... You know, whatever it is, I mean, I know, of course, the CAO and all of that have to be attended to, as usual, for the 1st of July. And, of course, the risk is that they're not in that environment of, you know, being doing the leaving search and the end of the leaving search and the focus on perhaps looking at their choices. But the students themselves, that, that's their responsibility. They must attend to it as they would in normal circumstances. And of course, it's not just the third level, but 
the post-leaving cert courses, the FETAC programs, or the apprenticeships, all the array of what they will do when they will leave school. It's their responsibility to watch the dates, to avail of the help that is there, and in fairness it is there, from the colleges where they have these, what they call the webinars, where the students can participate, Zoom, they're all new experiences for us, but nevertheless it's what's there, and I would strongly advise the students would avail of that. Okay, and we're in a very different world now to what we were even, say, last September when those young people would have gone through the school gates for for their final year and certainly a different world to when they first sat down to fill in a CAO form. Do you think that that might be leading to people changing their minds about career choices? It'll be very interesting. I've no idea. Will many people go for health-connected programmes? Will they or will they not? What type of programmes will they be attracted to? What are they looking at? Are they looking at where there are shortages in skills? Are they going to take on a four-year program? Do they want shorter education with two-year certificates and on to the ordinary degrees, the level sixes and sevens on the CAO form? So important, as well as the level eights. Will they defer places? How are they going to manage accommodation? How are they going to manage <coughs> the broadband, the devices that they will need in order to do the necessary online, whatever way the, <clears throat> the programme. Yeah, because we're talking about blended learning, that there will be so much time spent on campus. Campus, yes. I think everyone's accepting there will be so much done um, at home as well. But there is still time for people if they do want to change their, their, their minds. Absolutely. They have full range of all the courses, with the exceptions of the restricted programmes. The restricted programmes should have been applied for by, of course, the 1st of February. But other than that, they can apply for anything. But so research, research the course. So important. Yeah. As you said, Patricia, the researching of the course, what's involved in the course, what will they become at the end of the course, and if they have insufficient information to contact the colleges. Okay, and there are, there are 10 choices on a CAO form at mm-hmm. level 8. That's right. They will. With the CAO form, there are actually 20 choices. Is it? The 10 for the CA, for the level 8, which will be the honours degree programmes, which are generally four years in duration, not all of them. Uh, an arts programme and many courses can be still done in three years, but generally we're looking at a four-year programme. Some of the courses like medicine, dentistry and that, of course, are more than four years. And then on the level 6 and 7, the level 6 means a certificate course, you can go from a certificate to a level seven, which is an ordinary degree, or a person can apply directly to a level seven ordinary degree. And at the end of those programs, one can exit and one has a good qualification. But generally, very many students will progress from them onto level eight to an honours degree. Okay, and I know it was a couple of weeks ago that the students had to contact the schools to say if they wanted their grade to be predicted at a higher level or lower level. That can have implications if somebody changed from a higher to a lower level paper. Of course it does, because you have to look, this is where the research comes in, Patricia, they have to look at what are the entry requirements. Is it necessary to have an H4 for something? Is it necessary to have an O3 for something? I had a student yesterday, he wanted to do a particular programme. He was unaware of the fact that he needed an O3, that was 70%, 70-79% in mathematics in order to be eligible for a particular programme. Now, 
okay, I guess he didn't know whether he was going to get a no three or not. But he was unaware. That was the problem. He was unaware that you actually would have to get that. Yeah, but of course, yeah. naturally, the students don't know what kind of results they're going to get. But just so that we have some awareness that the entry requirements. Now, every single course has entry requirements set out. And so the students do need to be familiar with that. And they need to know the content of the course, what would be involved in it. I mean, some things, of course, are obviously very different, but other things will remain the same. So they will be still adding up their six best subjects, and they will give the points for whatever the course that they're applying for. But besides the points, there's the whole issue of entry, entry requirements. requirements. Okay. And, you know, to know your course, because unfortunately, every single year we hear yes. of students who drop out. And when you ask them, I didn't realise what the course was about. Yes. It, just, it just doesn't suit me. Any. And it's such a waste. You can end up wasting a full year and it can come at a cost as well. So please bear that in mind uh, when you are selecting your but courses. That's and that, that's the one thing, of course, at this time, Patricia, they do have time. Yeah. There's plenty of time to research and I would also suggest that they would apply for the SUSE grants because <clears throat> their closing date for that is coming up shortly. Okay, and then for for some students going on to university, going on to an IT, mightn't be for them, but there are other ways of to course. progress after, mm-hmm. so after secondary school. Of the post-leaving the FETAC courses, and again, they apply directly online. These are wonderful programmes in their own right, or can also offer a progression route into third level, if that's what the person wishes to do. And there are also, of course, the apprenticeships. And there are so many different opportunities in the apprenticeships. It is so worthwhile. And all they have to do is just go into all the w's.apprenticeship.ie and you will see all that range of information. And there has been a huge push, I think, and a huge amount of interest yes. in apprenticeships in recent years, which is uh, terrific. Uh, a listener wants to know, when does Roisin expect that the Leaving Certs will be getting their results? Well, we don't know for certain, but we hope sometime, as usual, mid-August. OK, it'll be around. And then everything should follow suit around the same timeline. Yes. With a week, a week or so later, we'll we'll have the first round um, uh, offers. Okay, and you know, cao.ie, apprenticeships.ie, and the Susie grants. That's important. It's the 9th of July, so that's fast approaching. That's less than a month away uh, for 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 people to make sure that they that they have their uh, application in for the Susie grant. And, okay. and to use the national database Qualifax for every course is listed as well. So you know, the, the resources are there but they just must put, 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 put the time into it. And that's the one thing they have at the moment. They certainly have. <laughs> they do okay. have the time to research and to reflect and to consider the courses. And it's wonderful that there are so many choices and courses out there for them. So, you know, one has to be very positive about it. So put in enough options and let's hope everything will be successful for them in August. Okay, and we'll speak to you again, uh, Roisin. Thank you for that and in the meantime, that's uh, Roisin Kelleher, our career guidance expert and you can check out Roisin's uh, website which is roisinkelleher.ie This is Cork Today Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork's greatest hits C103 
some of your thoughts coming in to us. We've been talking about coming out of lockdown and the next biggie, I suppose, is going to be on the 29th of June when the cafes slash pubs who serve food can reopen and there's talks then about schools and do the schools just need to fully reopen in September and the line that we were talking about this morning that a number of people are saying is we just have to learn to live with this virus. This virus is not going to disappear and we just have to learn to uh, live live with it at least until we get a vaccine. Well some a listener said it's alright to say we need to live with this virus But at the end of the day, we need to do the safety bit. Otherwise, it's dying with the virus we'll be doing, not living with it. People's hesitation and apprehension are very well founded with the amount of people who have died to date. That's with regard to your listeners commenting on pubs and the need for pubs to reopen. We would all like to do as we always did before the pandemic arrived, but we have to thread very carefully given lives are at at stake. It is too important important to be so casual about decisions. That's in from one of our listeners. Thank you for that to 0862 103 103. And there's a lot of questions coming in for Peter Dowdell who will be joining us after half past 12 today but a really interesting one. I don't know if anybody knows anything and I will ask Peter but if anybody else can throw light on this. Uh, Texter says the, I was chatting with a man in my local graveyard and it's the man in my local graveyard so we're assuming it's the caretaker of the graveyard who told me they're now able to manage Japanese knotweed with a special insect. Does Peter know anything about it? That would be a complete game changer if there was some kind of an insect that could be brought in that would be able to get rid of Japanese knotweed. I certainly haven't heard or read anything about it and I have a keen interest in watching Japanese knotweed and how it progresses and whenever I'm driving along when I'm seeing on the road you know when they put up the signs they please do not cut because we know the one thing with Japanese knotweed is you don't cut it back because by cutting it back you will just double the spread of it in that particular area so yes with great interest I'll ask uh, Peter about thank you for that but if anybody else has any further information or knows anything about that could you share it with us please 1850 and then a listener says could you ask please has anybody else got money from the Red Cross scheme the hardship fund that was set up at the start of the pandemic. Um, This listener seems to have applied for a grant for, was it 500 euro that they applied for? I'm not too sure in in the text, but but making the point that the fund is closed and wondering did anybody receive any any money? What was it all about? Well, we actually got on to the Red Cross earlier this month because we were getting similar texts in from listeners wondering had anybody received any payment and they got back to us and they said that they had an over overwhelming number of applications from the hardship fund so much so that they had to close it off within a few days it was closed off so it was closed on Friday the 24th of April now they say they currently don't have the resources to check the status of individual applications there's a huge backlog but they say all of the applications received within the application time frame so that's anyone who got their application in on or before Friday the 24th of June all of those applications will be uh, reviewed and they told us back at the start of the month that the applicants would be contacted and advised if their application had been successful or not so they're still just ploughing through the overwhelming 
number of applications that they received and bearing in mind that the Red Cross and it was set up along with they got involved with Age Age Action they are a charity and they don't have a bottomless pit of money and they have to go into their own reserves to pay out that hardship fund it wasn't money for example that they'd been granted by the government it was their own funds that they were trying to help out people so they're you know they're going through it and trying to find out the people who are most in need it wasn't a case of everyone that applied was going to get the money so now they've got the very difficult task of going through the huge number of applications and deciding who they feel is most uh, in need so you know from that not everybody is going to get the money but they are very much working on it and doing the very best uh, that they that they can and they're a great bunch in, in the Red Cross so we wish them luck with that. Morning Patricia says the WhatsApper if my daughter travels from the United Kingdom for a holiday in September, will she have to self-isolate for two weeks? I can't give you a definitive answer on that because I need a crystal ball and nobody knows what's going to be happening in September. If she was travelling today and she came into the country, yes, she would have to self-isolate for 14 days. Anyone travelling to Ireland from any country has been asked to self-isolate and it includes Irish citizens coming home so it would include your daughter and it's people without symptoms and even people who tested negative for the virus in another country still have to self-isolate and self-isolate means staying indoors and completely avoiding contact with other people but that's the rules and regulations that are in place as of now. There isn't an end date on that document. They're all what they call living documents in that they, they'll change and that will change and the, the two-week isolation will be removed at some stage. As to when it will be, I don't know. I mean, there's a big push because so many countries now are opening up for international travel and how can you go away on holidays and then come back and have to self-isolate for two weeks unless you're in the lucky position that you, you have you're, you have a month off and so people will be very slow to travel out those who are planning on travelling out, out of this country to go say on a sun holiday for example uh, certainly nobody's going to be travelling until the self-isolation bit when you come back is gone so it is something that will be removed it hasn't been removed uh, yet and I know the very fact I'm mentioning it now we'll have people saying it shouldn't be removed I mean when you look what has happened in other countries and the worrying signs coming from other countries I mean even in New Zealand who are COVID-19 free they've ended up with two new cases which was to do with the two people from United Kingdom who travelled over there to visit uh, and a loved one who is terminally ill and they were to self-isolate for two weeks but on compassionate grounds because the person they were going to see obviously didn't have long left to live and they allowed them out of self-isolation. It wasn't self-isolation, it was full isolation. They left them out of isolation and then they discovered both of them are to have tested positive for COVID-19. So that will worry countries when they see that. And it's the same in China, in Beijing, with the cases they're seeing in Beijing. They're trying to work out where those cases have come from but they're leaning towards that they've come from travellers coming into China and coming into Beijing. I know there's a question mark over, has it somehow come from salmon, contaminated salmon? But then that opens up a whole new ball game if it has come from contaminated uh, salmon. Uh, But they're looking at that. But they think, again, it's to do with people coming in to the country who didn't quarantine for the full two weeks. So only time will tell. So, sorry, long-winded answer. And I don't have a direct answer for you. You're going to have to wait and see will 
self-isolation will it have been removed by uh, September uh, thank you for your text uh, if we get any news on that we will of course bring it to you uh, and also we were talking about the bookies are earlier on and how the bookies opened and had to close again a listener says uh, that they saw a bookies shop opened uh, yesterday yeah a number of them did open yesterday a number of them were open for a few hours and then closed again I think some of them are going to defy sort of go against the regulations and try and stay open but the Gardaí certainly in Dublin the Gardaí were, were visiting bookies shops and telling them no you're reading the regulations wrong you're not allowed to open so I think a visit from the Gardaí will stop a number of, of people contemplating staying open as of now the bookie shops are not allowed to uh, open. Now I want to bring you something that we've been, well Sadie's been working on in the background here on the programme and it thankfully has been sorted but I want to give it out as a word of warning to others who are planning a trip to an optician uh, to, just to let them know that there could be additional charges. Sean went to have his uh, an eye test done at Specsavers in Opperlane. Now he has a medical card and at the end of the eyesight test and the checkup, he was charged €25 and when he asked what's that for they said it was for an OCT test which I'm told is a hospital grade optical test and he, Sean claims he wasn't aware that he was getting this test or that he wasn't aware that there was going to be an additional charge for it and he contacted us because he said they won't honour my prescription because he said I can't afford to pay the €25. Now he said when they did offer to lower the charge to €10 euro, but he says I literally don't have the money I live pension to pension week to week the last bit of money I have I need to pay bills I'm living on a state pension and I just I literally don't have the money I can't afford it and he needed his prescription obviously he needed his uh, new glasses so we contacted Specsavers on Sean's behalf now they came back and they have told us that Specsavers offer patients additional eye care checks that are separate to the routine eye test these um, optional tests give opticians a more detailed view of the overall health of the eye and they use a hospital graded optical scanner that, and that's what that OCT test that Sean had done and he said it can help to detect certain eye conditions up to four years in advance and in, a, in turn negates issues that could have gone unnoticed during the COVID-19 lockdown. So they recommend the OCT test which is introduced in stores last year. But it is an opt-in test and it does cost €25. Euro. The price they say is told to patients in advance and they're sorry if on this occasion there was some kind of a misunderstanding with the patient and they are looking forward to welcoming him back in store to select his uh, frames and we spoke with the manager of the store who's contacted Sean and they're honouring his prescription and giving him his, his prescription so it got sorted out but just to let people be aware of that it is optional they say that the, it's an opt-in test and that they, it's told to the patients in advance but you know it got me thinking when today when we were talking um, with Brendan from Brendan Lennon from Chime which is the National Association for Deaf in this country and when he was talking about people with hard of hearing and people over the age of 70 have a 50% chance of being hard of hearing when you reach the age of 70. And obviously, Sean, I don't know if Sean is 70 yet, but he's, he is an old age pensioner. It could easily be that somebody isn't understanding, isn't hearing properly. I don't know if the people speaking with Sean was wearing a face mask, for example, at, at the time. And, you know, people nod and are maybe a bit embarrassed to say, I'm, I'm not understanding what you're saying. And they just say yes to things. And there can be misinformation. So I think everybody needs to be very aware of that. Both people in business, 
when they're telling someone that there's going to be an, in, an extra charge that the person realises that there's going to be an extra charge but it, just to make people aware that that is an opt-in that it's not I don't know if it's available at all opticians it's certainly available at uh, spec savers but there, it does come with an additional charge and it's not covered under your medical card but it's uh, good to know that that's, we, Sean's issue has been sorted and he is going to get his uh, prescription so well done to everybody there at Specsavers in Opera Lane but we give it out for anybody else heading to the opticians to make it aware that there could be an additional charge that's not going to be as they say it's not going to be covered under your medical card. I'm still getting in texts when we're talking about pubs and restaurants opening with, with people still saying when is the bingo going to come back? Uh, Patricia, you've got another wait. Is it the 10th? I know I got John Paul to check this before. Is it the 10th of August that we head down for the bingo, even though the 10th of August was to be the final phase, which seems to be disappearing back to the 20th of July as more things are being brought forward you know, that we're, we're moving things from phase three into phase two and things from phase four are going to phase uh, three. So it is very possible that the bingo halls will open sooner than that. But as far as I know, it's down for the the, the last phase. I know I can see John Paul is, is checking that uh, for us. But there, when, so, when people are looking for social dancing to come back, it is the 10th of August. Thank you for that. But that may move. That may move back to the 20th of July. But as of now, it is down for the 10th of August. So there's still another long, long wait. And again, and I've said it before, I, I don't understand why there is such a long wait on the bingo halls because many of the bingo halls are great big buildings and people would be able to do the social distancing and keep the two metres uh, apart. But it is one of the ones that is still down. You've got to wait until the 10th of uh, August. And an email into uh, Patricia at C103.ie from Mary Alice O'Hara, who uh, listens to us regularly in the States. And she's of Irish ancestry and she discovered us a while ago online. And every now and again, she'll bang out an email to us from the, from the States. And she loves the connection of listening to an Irish radio, radio station and just keeping the connection with her uh, roots and she says Dear Patricia things here at the USA are so sad we much like everyone else around the world are dealing with COVID-19 virus and on top of that we have the racial inequality in our country. The protests or as I prefer to say the over demonstrators have spread right across the USA and rightly so. I was raised by beautiful parents who saw no colour or sexuality. It simply breaks my heart to see our country torn with such indifference. Don't trust the media. It's crazy here. Our president is a dot 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 well never mind. To everyone in Ireland I wish you all peace and health. I'm still coming back to your most beautiful island Ireland and I pray that everyone in your beautiful country are healthy and forgive the problems of our long standing USA social injustice and that was sent from Mary uh, Alice O'Hara in the States and uh, Mary Alice we wish you and your family all the best and when all this is over and we get back to some kind of a normality and when we will be welcoming uh, people back into this country it'll be great to have you back visiting our beautiful shores. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text to WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
Here's an incredible raffle that's going to take place. It's the Cork International Hotel and they're holding a fundraising raffle in aid of the Rainbow Club. Now, the Rainbow Club is the Cork charity that helps families living with autism. The lucky winner of this raffle will have exclusive use of the Cork International Hotel for their family on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of uh, July. And I think it's up to 30 people you can bring with you. Tickets are €20 each and they're limited to 5,000 tickets. So you need to check out the Cork International Hotel's website for further uh, details. Carrick Tool GAA Club are holding its Cayman Till Dawn Sunset Marathon. It's happening this Saturday, the 20th of June, from 7pm to 10pm. Representatives of the Camogie Ladies Football Juvenile and Adult Clubs will run in relay doing six by seven kilometre loops of the village. It's to raise awareness for mental health and it's to fundraise for the wonderful Pieta House. More information on the Carrick Tuhill GAA Club website and on their Facebook uh, pages. And completed application forms for Castle Lines Community Alert scheme must be returned by Friday the 26th of June. If you wish to become a member, contact them at 86 823 Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And a quick look at some more of your texts uh, coming in. Someone said you mentioned spec savers. They are very good, but people do need to be aware that sometimes there are additional uh, charges. Hi, Patricia. I will be 66 in August of this year, 2020. Will I be entitled to an old age pension? Absolutely. The rules that were to change are they are to change on the 1st of January next year which brings it up to 67 so you're just within on the 66 now under the programme for government if we get this government there has been agreement between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and obviously the Greens uh, that it will stay at 66 and they're going to do a review across next year which will if we get that's if we get the government and the programme for government goes through which will be good news for the listeners that we had during the week who are going to be 66 in January one of them I think was on the 5th of January was going to miss out on a year of the state pension by for being five days uh, too late if they'd been born on the other side of the 1st of January they would have been okay but yes yeah, 66 in August 2020 you'd be okay what I will say to you when we were speaking about the old age pension during the week uh, somebody said you need to good three months beforehand to start getting your application in to make sure that you're you're paid on the actual date that you will be back paid if if you get your application in late so um, we're into June June I would get working on it now I would get, get working on uh, filling in the uh, forms. Uh, hi Patricia, on the bingo that you mentioned and my thoughts on the bingo, if you have bus loads you won't be able to do social distancing as big as the hall might be. That's a good point that I hadn't thought about. A lot of people travel to to bingo on the bus and I know already with certainly with bus air and the public buses they've double deckers. Did, did I hear yesterday that a double decker bus is only allowed to hold 19 people because of the two metre social distancing and a normal bus I think is Enormous big buses allowed to only hope about seven. That's going to cause, I'm thinking again with kids going back to school as well, that the social distancing it's, it's at, the, at the two metres is really stopping society for sure uh, from opening up. Hi Patricia, I'm going to the dentist uh, where I had to fill out a questionnaire a day before to make sure I wasn't sick. Why can't they do the same with flights? Ask people to fill out a questionnaire, even offer people a COVID-19 test. Say do it many days before the flight and then once you get the test results back in and you are negative, you are free to fly. Why can't we introduce something like uh, 
like uh, that. And someone else is saying the same thing. Christopher Newell is saying, why can't they simply test people at airports as they fly in or out? Surely that's the common sense thing to do and get one of the quick turnaround tests and make sure that nobody gets on a plane unless they have a COVID-19 negative test result. Would that not make sense? Again, a number of people uh, saying that. And then, uh, listeners said, any news on choirs coming back, Patricia? No, haven't heard a word about choirs. I'm assuming it'll be the 10th of August as well when we get to open up to larger groups of uh, people. But some choirs would only have a very small number. And again, you would think that choirs could do the social distancing. Could you all stay? Would you be able to sing all two metres apart? Probably not. But I haven't heard anything about choirs, so I would be assuming the fact nobody's talking about it, it will be the 10th of August. If we find out anything different, I will bring it to you. And somebody else is asking about the good news for Kerry and the fact that Kerry now is the only county in Ireland to have the status of being COVID-19 free. They were the second county because Sligo had the honour of being the first county in Ireland to have a COVID-free status uh, because since May the 14th, they until June the 14th, they didn't have any COVID plus case in uh, Sligo uh, that was until yesterday they had gone 20 they had gone 28 days infection free which meant they were the first county in Ireland uh, to be free of uh, the virus and it's the in order to get this county free status COVID free status uh, the 28 day rule is based on if a building if somebody gets COVID-19 in a building or there's been a cluster inside in a, a building the building has to go through two back to back 14 days incubation periods without a new case being recorded then that building is deemed COVID-19 free so they're kind of using that same sort of uh, an analogy in order to make a COVID free county in this country and up until Sunday Sligo had actually gone 31 days without a new case but then unfortunately they had a case on Sunday so now it's Kerry is the because become the second county to be COVID free but now it's also the only COVID-19 free case. Kerry has not recorded a new case since the 18th of uh, May and it reached the 28 day milestone on the 14th of uh, June so they are they are now COVID free and I know Danny Healy Ray is again in the papers saying he feels that's one of the reasons that Kerry should be opening up and a lot of the restrictions that are on in other countries should be lifted in uh, Kerry but the advice, I mean, certainly the advice from Professor Sam McConkie, who heads up the International Health and Tropical Medicine at the Royal College of uh, Sur- Surgeons. He's against it because he says he can foresee all kinds of problems. And he says you can't lock down a, a county because the only way you're locking it down means that nobody can go in or nobody can leave. And he said that it just doesn't work that way. You know, you've got to get items, you know, stock and things and... Um, items that people need have got to get in and out of the uh, county and then when you see what's happened in Sligo he's making the point that COVID-19 is a highly infectious disease and that it hasn't gone away and therefore that we have to stick with the measures that have been put in place and again we're all being urged to stay local and if you're going outside the county bounds you should go no further than 20 kilometres and I think it's because of that because it is so 
highly contagious and people still, I think we're all very much at this stage aware of the symptoms but if you present with any of the symptoms you need to contact your doctor as quickly as uh, possible. Other counties doing well, Waterford and Westmeath have not seen new cases for 11 consecutive days. Leitrim and Longford, there are 10 days COVID-free. 10 days for Leitrim, 9 days for Longford. Next best county is Wexford. They haven't had a new case for 8 consecutive days. Then coming up the rear, us here in Cork, Clare and Offaly. We're now 5 days without a new uh, case. But we've got to get to 28 days in order that Cork would have the status of being a COVID-free county. But our neighbours across the border in Kerry doing extremely well. 1850 333103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And thank you to a huge number of people pointing out there was actually two new cases of COVID-19 in two cases confirmed at Kerry General Hospital this morning so thank you to the people pointing that out and uh, Mary says Patricia I heard you mention the old age pension as I'm 66 in February of 2021 will I qualify for the pension I heard you say something about January if the programme for government goes through it's one of the concessions that Fianna Fáil has won on the programme for government they want the pension age to remain at 66 and so if the programme for government goes goes through it is going to be held at 66 while a review goes on so you are Mary somebody who wants this government to go through because if it goes through uh, you're, you will get your pension in February and if it doesn't go through then you're going to have another year uh, to wait 1850 333 103 Peter Dowdle uh, the joining me good afternoon to you Peter Good afternoon, Trish. I was just, as I was coming on air, I was actually answering a question on Facebook and it's relevant because I'd say a lot of people would have the same question. Somebody was saying to me that their hostas are, are, have been eaten by slugs. What should they do? He said he's tried slug pellets. Should he just cut them back and try again? So uh, preempting a lot of questions that you might get. Yes, that's yeah. probably the best advice. If, if your hostas have been attacked by slugs, uh, you're not going, even if you do get on top of the slug problem, those leaves that have been eaten are still going to look terrible. So yeah, just cut it back, cut it back quite hard and hope for the best with the new leaves. Yeah, I had, I used to have that problem in my garden. I have two hostas that were constantly getting e- eaten by slugs and then I got this, the slug pellets that you advised, the good ones, because I don't like the beer traps. But then the hedgehogs moved into the garden and they sorted that problem. Haven't had a slug attack in my hosta since. Here's one uh, that a gentleman contacted us about earlier. Now, he said the man in my local graveyard, so I'm assuming the caretaker, told me that they are able to manage Japanese knotweed with a special insect. Does Peter know anything about this? Have you heard of any insect being used to treat knotweed? Where did he say? He just said the man in his local graveyard. Okay, okay. His local graveyard. Uh, Well, the, re- the reason I asked was in case you were getting a caller from China, because there there is an insect, like like everything, like you referred to there with the hedgehogs controlling the slugs in your garden in Cork. Uh, the natural balance is what will control everything. So if you have a natural balance, what that means is the richer the diversity of species in the garden, the less likelihood there is of any one species gaining, you know, an unnatural advantage. So when we interfere with that natural balance, so in other words, when we when we put on a slug pellet that is going to kill the predators like hedgehogs and birds, well, then the slug population will increase much quicker than the hedgehog and bird population. And we've interfered with the natural balance. So if we now go to the question about Japanese knotweed in Japan, obviously, they have their natural balance and there's different different um, species they're talking about, obviously, but it's the same principle. So 
Japanese knotweed doesn't is does not take over in Japan because there's enough predators. There's there's mites and moths that feed on it. Okay, so there's a psyllid moth which feeds on the Japanese knotweed. They did trial it down in Cornwall in the UK over the last few years with varying different results. First of all, obviously, they had to be very, very careful before they introduced another insect that it wasn't going to cause trouble in its own right. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, it, it doesn't. But also because of the UK climate being different to the Japanese climate, it hasn't thrived. So it hasn't really, to the best of my knowledge, managed to control the Japanese knotweed problem in England. If it's being used in a cemetery in Ireland, it's certainly the very first I've heard about it. Uh, but far be it for me to say say they're not. I don't know. So it I is, haven't heard about it. It is possible. Yeah. And actually, I there was a gorgeous, a gorgeous picture on the back page of the Irish Examiner today. And it is the head gardener, Jack Murphy, in UCC's Wildflower Meadow. And uh, the UCC campus is uh, ensuring biodiversity. And they're the first university in Ireland uh, to plant a wild garden. And it's under the headline, Ups a Daisy. And it's just a meadow full of these ox-eyed, daisies. It's stunning. Brilliant. I wonder where that is in UCC. I, yeah. must, have, I must find it. Keep a look out uh, for it. Because wild, yeah, and wildflower, wildflower meadows, and even if you don't have a, an area like the UCC campus, just a patch of wildflower seeds in your own garden will really, really help the situation. Okay, let me get straight into questions. And this was a letter that arrived in from Jack in uh, Waterfall, uh, who has a question for two two issues for Peter. Mildew on gooseberry bushes, reduced produce. Should I have sprayed them earlier, and which I did not? And the second issue is brown leaves on British Queen potato stalks. I started spraying them last the last week of May, every ten days with bluestone and washing soda. So, okay, firstly, mildew on gooseberry bushes. Well, it's actually a similar similar solution to both. So, bluestone, which is copper sulphate, is the, the correct preventative for blight. It's also the correct preventative for mildew on your gooseberries. But I, I kind of shudder when I hear him saying that he's was spraying it every 10 days. It's copper sulphate, and you don't want to be putting it on every 10 days into something that you're then going to be eating. So, be careful on how often you use it. With British Queens, they're, early, they're obviously they're early, so... I would I'd nearly lift them now if they, if you've got symptoms of blight over the ground curling leaves it may not be blight obviously uh, but I would just lift them they they should be well ready to to go by now so I wouldn't be spraying any more bluestone on them just just lift them and harvest them okay um, and, and enjoy with, with them and in oh so god nothing like it but uh with the, the 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 gooseberry give them a shot of copper sulfate remove the worst of the infected leaves and stems just physically prune them off a shot of copper sulfate but only once i wouldn't do it more than once in a year maybe twice maximum uh, and hopefully you should be okay okay good luck with that uh jack and an email in from eileen gardening question please a cat went into my greenhouse a few times and done his business in one area near the onions should i have should i dig away that section Yes, I would. Yeah, yeah. Th- there can be very harmful pathogens in, in animal feces. So so yeah, I would. I just would, get I'd rid. Be careful. OK, yeah. a question for Peter, please. I've got lovely yellow roses and they're all in full flower. No black spot, no green fly, nothing. But the flowers are falling away after about two to three days. Now, I didn't feed them during the year, but it seems to be happening every year. Would a feed help? What does Peter think? feeding shouldn't really uh, like feeding feeding roses is always worthwhile because they're one plant that do like to be kept well fed and that you will get more and better quality blooms from feeding so it may have a it may have an impact on on that 
but it, it's unlikely when they're falling like the, the plant is fine there's no sign of fungal infection or fungal problems it's producing flowers but they're just falling a bit early that sounds to me more like a bit of drought and a drought doesn't mean drought in terms of water shortage drought just means that, that plant has dried out or might be in a soil that's a bit too dry so i'd be paying more attention to a good mulch around the plant at this time of the year and again in winter uh, you can mulch it with with bark mulch composted bark your own homemade compost farmyard manure whatever you want just to mulch it with because the mulching apart from the other benefits of mulching what it'll do is it'll slow down uh, water loss through evaporation and also mulching with an organic matter like any of the ones i mentioned will improve the soil texture and structure and improve the ability of the soil to hold water near the plant so it really is the best thing you could be doing so at the moment i know there's a hose pipe ban but use whatever water you can um even gray water from the sink like we discussed last week trish and put that out onto the roses but i would say that it, that's what's causing it more than more than any need for feed or any illness okay Teresa says could you please ask peter what results could one expect from sowing flower seeds that are out of date by a year or so unopened i had great intentions thanking you sister Teresa. <laughs> i know what you're going you're intentions. going to say plant away of course i am number one give it a go because you, you they're certainly not going to come if you throw them out but I, I, I really laugh when I see best before dates and flower seeds because flowers, depending on the species, obviously, but most flower seeds will remain viable for many, many years, certainly longer than you and I are going to live, Trish. Uh, and like wildflower seeds, like poppies not in the ground, can stay viable for three and four hundred years. So and then they put a best before date two years time. Um, I think that's marketing at its best. So definitely plant them. I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't all germinate. Yeah, I saw somebody who had planted uh, seeds that they found they were 10 years out of date and they all grew and everything was fine. Uh, hi, uh, Patricia, could you ask Peter, uh, where can I buy the organic plant food that he often mentions? I live in Beira. <coughs> I don't know where in Barry you're going to get it. They're talking, I imagine, about the Nature Safe, which I've mentioned a lot recently. Um, it's an Irish product, an organic product, and it's very, very good plant food. They do a range of sustainably produced seaweed feeds. Um, I know, the, like I mentioned last week, I know Bandon Co-op do it, Dairy Gold Co-ops do it. Um, so I don't know exactly where in Barry, but like as I say, it's a product that's made in Galway, so your local garden centre should find it very easy to get it. Uh, go and ask for it and I, I and if like I'm kind of of the opinion um, you know garden centres should have it because we all need to support Irish businesses yeah, at the moment absolutely. so if you want if you want if you want uh, the consumers and the public to support your local garden centre well then you should be lo- supporting the local plant food maker do you know what I mean yeah. it all it all needs to go around so if go to your local garden centre Nature Safe is the name of the range it's made in Galway I can't see any reason why they wouldn't have it OK Mary in Lazard a question for Peter please now and I'm going to make a stab at this uh, we have Asiatic Lilies Leaf However, the Asiatic, bu- yeah. Asiatic, I'm close. However, the yeah. buds turned brown and fell off. Any suggestions for why this would happen and what food would Peter recommend for lilies? Uh, well, the, the nature safe tomato food is probably the one I'd use there. But um, and even now, because that, that unfortunately, the fact that the buds have fallen off, they're not going to produce more. But that that stem is go- actually I was going to say that stem is going to die back into the bulb. So feed it. But what I'd actually in, in, encourage you to do in this situation is to prune off that stem that's above the ground, because that's a fungal problem that uh, when the blossom falls off like that, it's a fungal disease. So um, like I was saying with the gooseberry, it was earlier remove the infected growth, the infected, the infected uh, stems. So with the lily, obviously, there's only one. So remove that infected leaf, infected stem. Uh, feed the bulb then with the tomato food, just as it's, it's it, when the stem should be dying back. 
um, and then also treat the bulb with a dusting of copper sulfate. So the copper sulfate that we were referring to, it comes in a powder, you mix it with water, you water it on. But in this instance, I think once you take the bulb out of the ground, I would just dust it with the dust uh, because it is a fungal problem that's causing that. And unfortunately, there's nothing that can be done this year for it. Johnny McCroom, uh, Peter, when can I cut back broom and how often do I spray potatoes? Well, the spring potatoes, we did we dealt with there earlier. So with, if you're using copper sulfate as a blight preventative or bluestone, um, I would say maximum twice in a season, ideally just once and maximum twice. If they're early potatoes, like I said, or like we, sorry, like we were saying earlier, uh, if they're showing any signs of blight, I would just whip them out of the ground now. Blight is obviously more of a problem with your main crop. So I would spray with bluestone realistically i would spray them now because there have been a few blight warnings spray it now and then really hope for the best uh and the first part of the question was when to cut uh, broom when to cut so, broom yeah broom would ideally be cut just after flowering which is just gone a bit late for it now now it, pruning it now you won't do any harm to it but broom uh by pruning that now you could sacrifice some of next year's flowers because it will produce flowers next spring's flowers on growth produced this year. So by pruning it too late in this season, you will be cutting off next year's flowers. But uh, I think you're probably not too late. There's still enough growth left in this season to give you more more flowers. But uh, going forward, the minute you see the last flower in it, cut it back then. And do cut broom back because they do tend to get leggy and woody if you don't. OK, a couple of people have point, want to tell you that the UCC Wildlife uh, Park is on the Western Road, the, the, the wildlife that I was talking about, the, okay. um, the flowers. Okay. Uh, thank the you. meadow, yeah. Uh, the meadow, thank you. Uh, after toppling a tree, says Bill, should the <coughs> cut branch be sealed and if so with what? There's two schools of thought on it. So I err on the side of, of not sealing it but it's a bit like you know if you get a, a cut in your hand or if a child mm-hmm. gets cut in their hand or, or any part do you put a plaster on or do you leave it open to the elements? It's the same kind of theory obviously with some cuts you, of course you, you'd cover them um, and it's the same with the tree so if it's a good clean cut that's been done professionally and it's been flush with the, the bark or flush with the main trunk um I would leave well alone. The tree, trees are magic. The tree would callous over that cut all on its own and protect it the same way as, as our skin does. If it's a ragged cut or if it's storm damage or if some of the, the bark peeled away and if it's a dirty cut, well, then that's less easy for the for the tree to callous over. So in that case, you nearly would. Um, the, 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 the reasons against doing it, it's, it's again similar to the reasons against doing it on our own skin. It's that the, the tree can't breathe. It, it, so actually by sealing it you seal it to prevent disease getting in it's like a liquid plaster if you like so you seal it to prevent disease getting in but the downside is the tree can't breathe so it's it's a kind of balancing act and I'm, I, I'm not on the fence of it I are on the side of not sealing it and then just keeping an eye on it Could you ask Peter I've got peonies in a pot there is a clear sticky thing on them every morning and there's still only buds will they ever open they're there for ages can't put them in the ground as we have limey soil it's a Canturk listener Hard to answer that one without seeing it, I'm afraid. A clear, sticky substance, I presume they mean on the bud. So a certain amount of that can be actually quite natural with peonies, depending. But uh, it's it's very possibly a honeydew secretion, which is if there are any green fly or aphids anywhere around, either on the, I imagine if they were on the peony, they would have said it. But if they were nearby, when, when, they're, when they're laying their larvae, they, they secrete this honeydew. It's a sticky 
uh, a sticky secretion, as I say, uh, that and that could, of course, call, stop the flower from opening properly. So a wash with soapy water is kind of all you can do. And it's funny because I was just writing about peonies there now because they have been magnificent. Of course, the mm. colour doesn't want to hear this, but they have been magnificent this year. They've loved the April and May hot, sunny weather that we had, uh, and they've really been thriving. But in this case, I, I would maybe just get some hot, soapy water and wash the, wash the buds. I know it may sound a bit extreme, but it, it should pay dividends. Okay, I have very little time left on this, but could you offer Eileen some uh, advice? She, uh, she wants you to talk about glass houses. What would you suggest as to about, about uh, how do you start with a glass house size, where to situate it and where's the best one to buy one? Where would you direct Eileen to get advice on glass houses? Okay, yeah, it's not a quick one to answer. It's no. the best thing to do with direct. Well, I think that I would direct uh, Eileen, come towards my own Facebook page. That's the Irish Gardener on Facebook and we can get a conversation going on it. There's over 100,000 gardeners followed every week. So you'll get lots of suggestions. Your local garden centre will be a good place. But I know you're caught for time, so I won't go into it. But the, you're right to be asking these questions because it's vital that you get right the aspect, the shelter from the wind and a good quality one. So get on to me on Facebook or else your local garden centre. And, and they're a good investment. Oh, absolutely. They extend the, the, the growing season. Uh, you can be out gardening in the middle of winter. Oh, absolutely. A great investment. OK. All right. Uh, listen, thank you for that. Are you, have you a good week? Yeah, a busy, busy week? Busy week. I think gardeners seem to be the busiest men in Ireland at the moment. So, yeah. Are you OK? <laughs> busy. Well, but, uh, but you know what? Lovely and great. It's, great. it's great to be busy and it's great that the weather is good. And it's great that everybody is developing a, a, a newfound, in many cases, great. a newfound appreciation for all things gardening. Yeah, it's, I keep looking for the pluses out of COVID-19 and I do think that's going to be one of them. Listen, have a lovely week. That's we'll talk one. next Wednesday. Thanks for that. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. That is uh, Peter Dowdle. And you can check him out on the Irish uh, Gardener at his uh, web, at his uh, Facebook page. Okay, that's where I leave you for uh, today. Thanks to Heidi who says the woman with the onions uh, and the cats get rid, do not eat, uh, says Heidi. Thanks for that. Okay, that's where I leave you. Thanks to Sadie and to John Paul taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow at 10 to the 9. Patricia, very good afternoon. Keep safe. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.